You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Amen. Yeah, give him some praise this morning. Wow. Amen. You can be seated. It is uh, great to be with you this morning. I want to thank everyone that uh, makes it possible for us to be here. And uh, that being said, I I just um, want to thank them for all of their... um, efforts to roll with the punches with everything that we've uh, endured as a community, church body, church family. Um, That being said, on your handout, you'll notice that there are new service times next week. Y'all are going to be the ones that I guess are going to either love me or hate me. I I don't know. New service times, 9 o'clock and 10.30. Going back to two services, but moving to a 9 o'clock and a 10.30 spot. So, um, yeah, <laughs> y'all might lose a little more sleep, uh, but, uh, but maybe, maybe you'll be excited when you get out. Um, but we ask you to please uh, bear with us, um, trying to, try to make uh, good decisions for the long run and uh, with the balcony open back up and uh, get a chance not right now but get a chance before you leave today you want to check it out go up there and check it out we're getting uh, we're 90 we'll do, use the statistics that uh, we hear all the time now we're 99.9 percent there uh, with it so uh, this week got a couple of little things that'll be happening but uh, but as far as open and usable it is uh, back open and usable 45 comfortable seats up there, um, so just excited about that, uh, being able to consolidate and so and still have room. Um, this morning, I want to take you first to John chapter 8. It'll be John chapter 8. We'll also look at Matthew 11. John 8, 28 through 32, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and I want to talk to you this morning about just a few marks of discipleship. There are many, many marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I just want to talk to you about a couple this morning. Things that mark a disciple of Jesus Christ. I wonder what marks your life. If you were to evaluate your life right now and just say, what marks my life? Don't answer out loud, but maybe what would be said, maybe even at your funeral, that, you know, that, that signifies who you are in this life? What about your time? What do I do with my time? That's a great question to ask. Evaluate our lives. What do we do with our time? We have 168 hours in every single week. Sometimes it feels like there are less. Sometimes it feels like there are more. But truth be known, all of us have 24 hours in a day. But if you were to take in a, in a, a week's time and you were to sleep eight hours, some people would say, I'd love to be able to sleep eight hours, right? Amen? If you were to sleep eight hours, if you were to work eight hours, seven days a week, you still would have a comfortable eight hours to do some other things. What do you spend your time on? What, do, what, what would mark your life? As we dive in, let me read John chapter 8 to you, verse 28 through 32. 
Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that, pray, uh, that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. Father, would you please take your word today? Teach us from your word. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day that you would draw them to yourself. That if you would speak to their hearts, God, they would be so compelled to respond. Let us be sensitive to what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to us today. And as Christians, if there, uh, those of us that are believers, God, challenge us to be changed for an eternal purpose in Christ's name. Amen. When I think about the marks of a disciple, I have to go to the very onset. I believe that one of the first things that marks a disciple is submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is it is submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Even when we look at our text in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we find that Jesus is talking to them about a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This yoke that he's talking about is much like an oxen being uh, put up under the constraints so that somebody might lead that oxen. Somebody might control the speed of that oxen, the direction that the oxen is going to go to perform a particular task. And that's what Jesus is really saying to them there, is that you are to come up under Him, that you are to lock in into His bridle, that you are to let Him have the reins of your life as the Lord of your life, so that you might learn of Him. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49, I want you to listen intently at some of these verses here because I believe it is a distinguishing uh, text. It distinguishes us in our lives, whether we're saved, whether we're lost, and what that life looks like in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49, it says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bushes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now, then in verse 46, listen to what he says. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them... I will show him who he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and, it, and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Did you catch that? That for us, we, we first and foremost are locked up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That our lives are marked about, by the fact that we are yoked with Jesus. We are under His 
tutelage, and that our lives are to be grounded upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in the beginning, in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, that we have here in our hands Christ in written form. We have Christ here before us, and He says that you and I are to be, if we believe in Him, then we are to be submitted to Him. Now, think about what He says. He says, come take my yoke upon you. He says those in verse uh, 30 and 31, those in John chapter 8 that believed in Him, He said to them, those who believed in Him, if you abide in my word, and my, you are my disciples indeed. So under His Lordship, He leads us to His Word. I want to read something to you before we get into this second, uh, second thought. It's been kind of interesting. I run up on two recent surveys. One of them is kind of a survey slash article, but this, this survey that was done, I want you to listen to the, the statistics found from this survey. It says, a survey from 2021 found that 11% of Americans read the Bible daily. Trends in reading habits over four years showed that the majority of Americans never read the Bible. And you got to understand that in recent days, uh, just in recent days, this is still a country that at least half of the population of this country professes to be Christian when you start doing research. But yet, over half of the country doesn't even open the Bible. Only 11% profess, and this is just a profession because a census is only as good as the information that's given. So, if the people told the truth, 11% read their Bible daily. So that means it could be lower, but we know at least 11% of the population of the United States of America, the in God we trust, the Bible fearing, Bible thumping, United States of America, 11%. Bible readership demographics. Bible readership varies across each demographic, with millennials most likely to have never read the Bible, whereas the most frequent readers were those aged over 70 years old. Looking at the preference of the older readers, traditional books were favored, with 91% opting for a printed version of the Bible to read over other formats. Although figures show that fewer people are reading the Bible, there is still a genuine desire to read the Bible amongst the American population. 56% of those asked in 2019 expressing a wish to read the Bible. Now I want to pause there for just a moment. 11% reading it daily. 56% didn't say that they read it. It just at any time it just says that they profess that they have a desire to read it. So I'd ask you to ask yourself a question at this moment. You don't have to answer out loud. Please don't. Do you read the Bible regularly? Do you regularly read the Bible? Do you desire to read the Bible? I think that everybody in here would profess, I have a desire to read the Bible, whether you read it or whether you don't. I mean, you're at church in, in, in the good old Bible belt. You know, you're here. You, you obviously have some drawing that you want to be somewhere close to write with God. And, and, and so we would want to read the Bible. Some people say, I would read it if I could, but I'm not that great of a reader. In the day and time that we live in, I've said this so often, in the day and time that we live in, there is no excuse not to have the Bible reading you. There is Bible on audio, 
by CD forms. You can, if you've got a cell phone, you can get the Bible read to you. If you've got internet or somehow, you can get the Bible in a form to where you can have it read to you, even if you don't have the ability to read. And I understand that there are, there are people out there that do not read well. I get it. But I tell you today that there is no excuse whatsoever. If you need somebody to read it to you, then that could happen. But we, as a people, I believe have a desire to read the Bible, but the question is, do we read the Bible? Changes in attitudes have not been drastic, but rather it seems the disengagement with the Christian Scripture has been a gradual process. It normally always is. Why are fewer people reading the Bible? Great question. Certainly it is no small undertaking as with approximately 100, I mean 1,200 pages, the Bible is comparable in length to the popular epic Lord of the Rings series. Other possible uh, frustrations with the Bible and reasons for disengagement could come from complexity in language or simply not knowing when to use it. However, despite these challenges in reading the text, a significant portion of the U.S. population consider their belief in God to be compatible with the representation of the Bible. Now, that's what I wanted to get to. Even though 11, only 11% read their Bible regularly, Still yet, the majority of the population of the United States of America feels that their belief in God is compatible with the Scriptures. Now that, that's astonishing, to be honest with you. When, when we find out the information that we're going to find out this morning, and that's all I want to do is I want to teach you some information this morning. I'm going to lay the beginning of a challenge on us as a church. But think about that. That means that I don't read God's Word, but I'm... I'm lined up with what God wants me to do. That's almost as, I was going to use the word idiotic, but I don't want to use that word. Um, that's almost as interesting, I think is a good word, as what will happen in just a few days. In just a few days, there will be individuals that will try to assemble toys. They will be of the male species, most of them. And they will have a piece of paper when they open the box up called an instruction sheet. And what is the first thing that we do with the instruction sheet? I'll throw that away. I don't need that. I'm a man. I can put this together. And then by the end of the process, when there's supposed to be three wheels and there ain't but two, and there's four other pieces laying there left over, and there's a bag and all, then's when we get handed this piece of paper. And we have to take the thing back apart and assemble it the way it says on a piece of paper. Is that not how we live the Christian life so often? We wonder why things are beating against us and affecting us so much, but yet we have no foundation. You say, oh, I've learned the Bible. I know the Bible. See, here's the difference, though. Here's the problem. The Bible is not like going to take a college class. You can go to a college campus and if you spend enough time there and pass enough classes, you can get you a doctorate degree, and you can hang that doctorate degree on your wall, and for as long as you live on this earth, you will be Dr. So-and-so. But it comes to God's Word, it's a little different. God's Word is alive. And our process never ends until we see Him. In other words, 
if you have arrived, then that means that you are like Jesus Christ. And if you are like Jesus Christ in every essence, in other words, if you are perfect, then we've got a new problem because now the Bible's untrue. Because the Bible says that there's only been one perfect that's ever walked this earth, and it's Christ. No, you and I are disciples. We are learners. That's what it means. That, as a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 11, when it says to learn of me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, it is a derivative of the same word where we get the word disciple or discipleship from. And it is a learner. I mean, when you boil them all down, it is a learner, a student, someone who is learning. And we are learning we are under the yoke of Christ. We are learning Christ. So we are becoming more and more when we learn like Jesus Christ. But that process will never be finished until Christ takes us home. We see Him as He is, face to face. No more in the mirror dimly. We, we, we are, are like Christ, because not because we have achieved something, but because He has made us like Him. So throughout our lives, He takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God within us and the people of God. I don't want to leave that out because we'll see it in a minute. And He develops us to be more and more like Jesus Christ every single day that we are in this process, but never to finish the process until He finishes the process in us. So it is an ongoing thing. We are being made disciples. We are making disciples. We should be, and we'll talk about that next week. But that process is continually ongoing. As long as we live on this earth, we will be, need to be students of the Word of God. You know, one question I have in my mind, and I, I, I have an answer in my heart that I want to say, but at this moment I just don't want to declare an answer to it. But here's a good question for you to take home with you. Can you be saved and not be a disciple? Can you be saved and not be a disciple? You see, because a disciple, he says here, he told them, well, as a matter of fact, let's just read it. John chapter 8, once again, verse 30 and 31. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So that means that not only is a disciple marked by being surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, um, a disciple is marked by staying in God's Word. He said, if you abide in my Word, and that simply means that you stay, you camp out, settle in, that you remain is a better way to put it. In other words, that it's not haphazardly. I read the Bible this week, not next week. I, I read it some uh, last read it some last month. I read it in Bible school when I used to go to Bible school. Or I read it in Sunday school when I used to go to Sunday school. Nope, nope, nope. Jesus Christ, before Sunday school ever was, before Bible school ever was, He said that you are my disciples indeed, for sure, if you stay in my word, if you abide in my word. In other words, that we stay regularly in His word. That, that, that he, we are to, well, it is to be a lamp unto our feet. And what, church? A light unto our path. We're to hide His Word in our heart that we might not, what? Sin against God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates how often? Day and night. And so that we are immersed in the Word of God, that we stay there. 
As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 2, we had it last week, verses 41 and 42. I want to just want to reiterate it with you. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. In other words, they continued steadfastly in God's word. What Christ had taught them, he tells them, go and teach others. And let me just put this out there. I, w- I wouldn't normally put it later in this, <coughs> in this, but I'll go ahead and put it out there now. If the early disciples had not made disciples, you and I would not be disciples today. I want you to hear that good. Because we'll talk about it next week, about the fact that not only are we supposed to be disciples that continue being disciples, but we're also to make disciples. Did you know that everybody is being discipled in some way? I'm going to try not to embarrass myself here because we're on, online, but uh, Clint Eastwood. Anybody ever heard of Clint Eastwood? For some reason, I want to go see his new movie. I had, I, it's kind of drawn to me. It seems like it's talking about some end-of-life stuff. He sometimes can be a deep thinker. Um, but, but he had some other movies. One of the movies had an orangutan named what? Clyde. Did Clyde signal for a left turn or a right turn? Come on. Right turn. That's exactly right. It's what? Yeah, starring Andy Griffith. And does anybody know who else? Don Knox. That's exactly right. My point is you are being discipled. You are being taught something. Amen? That's why the Western Channel still thrives. Because there are people still alive today that their parents watched the Western Channel and they grew up watching it and it's something that brings comfort to them. They, they know it. They can tell you every word in it. Uh, sometimes we watch movies over and over and over again. Around my house, the movie Elf. Y'all know that movie? We're sitting there saying every word in the script as it's going because we have seen that movie more than we probably should have. We're being discipled, right? That's why I ask, what do we do with our time? What's going to mark our lives? I sure hope that at the end of my life, having the knowledge of all the seasons and scripts of Andy Griffith is not what marks my life. But do you realize that you say, I I just don't know about learning. You learn every day. You have the choice to learn. Sometimes things that we learn are easy to learn. Sometimes we have to put forth more effort. I think one of the reasons that TV has taught us so much is because all we have to do is sit in front of it and it pours into us. Radio, same way. But with God's Word, we actually have to take an action. We have to read God's Word. We have to, we have to invest time into sitting down and and having God's Word, uh, not only us reading it, it reading us. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit back again about Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, Come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden, who are weary. He said, I'll give you rest, right? To be weary. What in the world would we be weary from? Uh, From our desires, our burdensome task, maybe trying to be right with God or with whoever? You see, because a lot of times in our lives, we 
have this idea of Christianity, even in the church house, it's Christianity, but it seems burdensome. But he says that his load is light. His burden is not wearisome. It's, it's, actually, uh, it's actually engagingly enjoyable. And, and see, here's something I want you to understand. That text that I read you about the two houses, the wind and the waves and all the storms of life beat on the house that had a foundation and the house that didn't have a foundation. In other words, whether you're lost or whether you're saved, the, the circumstances of life are going to happen. The distinguishing difference is when a disciple, you, you have a disciple marked by being under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Getting in God's Word, it says that there's a foundation there so that when the winds beat and the waves beat, guess what happens? The structure stands. But if you don't have that, then you get blown around, like the Bible says, with every wind of doctrine, everything that comes. And so there's this, these uh, characteristics, these traits that we see of a disciple. So a disciple, he says, you're a disciple indeed if you stay in my Word. In Jesus' day, the rabbinical system was so burdensome, it, it was hard even to try to just remember all the rules and the regulations, much less to live them out. And so Jesus is talking to some people that understand about all these religious things. But he's telling them that if you'll come follow me, if you will learn of me, then all this stuff that is weighing you down, I'll take all this stuff off of you. Peter addressed this actually when he was talking to some Judaizers in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. <laughs> in Acts 15, verse 10, Peter is kind of uh, trying to straighten out some Judaizers. Judaizers would be ones that would try to take converts into Christianity, to those that have been saved by the grace of God, but then lay back on them all the burdens of the law. And listen to what Peter says. He says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. They're under this system, and that's why Jesus is talking to them about having that yoke on their neck, that, that you have been burdened with these things. And some of you, even, growing up, it might not have been religious burden, but it was burdens that were cast on you. You didn't understand what freedom really was. And it's like, then when you come to faith in Christ... We automatically as Christians want to start adding back the burdens. I'll never forget somebody that uh, once was a deacon here at the church, not, no longer here, no longer actually gone on, gone on now, I don't, passed away, but would say, we need to look and see what the Bible says. And they would open their Bible up and pull the bylaws out and start reading the bylaws. That's a yoke of bondage. Because anything in our lives that does not line up with Scripture is bondage, burdensome. In other words, you and I are asked to live by God by this. And do you know that God's big enough to handle everything He's written? I love making a piece of paper the bad guy. If there's a, like some rule that's written down, instead of me getting in the middle of it, I'm going to go, like, that's what the piece of paper says. But do you know that you and I are basically to live our lives like that? If we're obedient to this and other people come up and say, why are you doing this? It's like, because he said so. 
Well, you know that if you live like that, then you're not going to be happy, or this is going to happen. No, 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 that's, that's on him. That's not on me. I'm just supposed to be obedient to this. That's just all, that's all I'm supposed to As long as I'm obedient to this, the winds can blow, uh, blow, the waves can come, but my house is founded on a solid foundation. Let me read something to you that is very, very interesting to me. This is some stuff coming out of our COVID world. COVID-19 pandemic is shifting American Bible engagement with many who are socially distanced from their spiritual communities turning to Scripture less and those who have lost loved ones to the virus reading it more. Between early 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible daily dropped from 14% to 9 One thing I really like about this is because the study I told you about earlier is done by a different group, and then here's this group, and they say from 14% to 9% over the course of 1999 to 2020, and the other one says that in 21 they got 11%. Those are very close numbers for two different groups to get. And so somewhere in that mix, but listen to what, he said, what they say. Between early 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible daily dropped from 14% to 9%. According to the uh, State of the Bible 2020 re, uh, report uh, released today by the Barner Group and the American Bible Society. A decrease of 5 percentage points in a single year was unprecedented in the annual survey's 10-year history. Between, between 2011 and 2019, daily Bible readers had basically held steady in an average of 13.7% of the population. But the decline continued during the initial months of the coronavirus pandemic. And by June, the percentage of daily Bible users had dropped to 8.5% in the U.S. Amid the pandemic, a large decline occurring among the Americans who say their choices and relationships are shaped by the Bible. A group ABS calls Bible Engaged. And I want you to understand, Bible Engaged is, could mean just coming to church read their Bible occasionally. Doesn't mean they read it every day. So amid the pandemic, a large decline occurred among the Americans who say their choices and relationships are shaped by the Bible, a group ABS calls Bible Engaged. In January, 27.8% of American adults were Bible Engaged. By June, after months of quarantine, the church closures, and church closures, the figure was down to 22.6%. And this is, what I, this is why I want you to listen to this one. This study supports the idea that the church plays a significant role in benefiting people's well-being and scriptural engagement, said John Plake, ABS Director of Ministry Intelligence. To increase scripture engagement, we must increase relational connection with one another through the church. The pandemic now and now this survey, ha survey has shown that when relational church engagement goes up, so does scriptural engagement. And when it goes down, scriptural engagement goes down. Now think about that. Number one, they just declared that the church is important. Amen? And I say the church, I ain't talking about the building, I'm talking about the body of Christ that we talked about last week. That, that us getting together is important. That, that I understand things happen and we, we, we have stresses on our lives. We have decisions we have to make. Some people are providentially hindered. We get that. 
That's why we as the church body need to facilitate things for people that are providentially hindered. But nevertheless, understand that us being together in some form or fashion has an effect on, uh, on the Bible being active in our lives and us being active in the Bible. Go figure. It's almost as if God's plan actually is correct, <laughs> you know. And so, in other words, you can't be a long-ranger Christian and be what God intends for you to be. You have to engage. And I know in a day and culture that we live in that says we're to socially distance, don't you think that there's a possibility that the enemy has something to do with this? I'm just going to throw it. Don't you think that the enemy has something to do with it if it is even proven by human statistics that when you bust us apart, things start falling apart? And God says for us in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves, which is the manner of some, but even more so as you see the day approaching. That God almost has this thing figured out. I think, well, I'll just hold that thought for a minute, but another mark of a disciple. Another mark of a disciple is surrendered to the truth. He says that you, if you stay, you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what, church? Set you free. We can thank Jack Nicholson and a few good men for helping us be discipled a little bit in that particular phrase. That we will know the truth, <clears throat> and the truth will set us free. We have to not only read it, we have to have it read us. And when it reads us, we are to then heed His Word. Sometimes in my past, I have wanted to lay hands on people. You ever wanted to do that? No? This is a joke goes have been going around for years now. These hands. There's shirts and bumper stickers and everything. No, you don't want these hands, right? But the Bible tells me that I'm to bless my enemy. Bless and do not curse. I don't like that in my flesh. But if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have to do what? I, I've got to heed it. Now, I'm like everybody else. I have times where I have those struggles, but eventually, through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, He wins, right? He wins. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome or grievous. Did you hear that? What's the difference? What changes that? I think that when you immerse yourself, and I immerse myself, and we stay, we abide in His Word. His Word abides in us. And then God's Word has got such a root in our lives that, that we are not burdened by being obedient to Him. And, and I have to believe that God's process, God's plan is so much greater than anything we could ever come up with in the church life. Just simply read His Word. Let His Word have time to read us and see what happens. Surrender to the truth, I believe, is what changes lives. We wouldn't surrender had God not led us to be surrendered. As a matter of fact, 
the ones he's talking to that have a heavy burden because they're up under the yoke, the only reason they realize they're under the yoke is because God's opened their eyes to the fact that they are. You and I, we don't realize we're depraved until God actually opens our eyes. We might realize that there are bad people and better, pe better bad people, I think is how a good way to put it. There's some people that ain't as bad as others, but nobody's good because the Bible says nobody's good. And that's all we really know. But we don't know the depth of our depravity until God opens our eyes. How many will God open? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, as many as the Lord our God calls, Peter said. And he said he added to the church daily those who are being saved. That's his business. My business is being in his word. And your business is being in his word. Being a disciple and making disciples. That's, that's the business that we're in. That God wants us to do that. And, and so I want to share with you for just a moment <clears throat> out of this. The context of all this, we have, a, we have a plan for 2022 at the church. We want you to be a part of that plan. And that plan is simply to be a disciple. I'm thankful that they're, the leadership around here and all the support staff and volunteers and all those over the years have just rolled with the punches in amazing ways. God would lead my heart to lead us in a direction and I can't even tell you uh, without breaking down and crying up here how thankful I am for, for our leaders and our volunteers. <clears throat> but I've got something that I want to, I feel led of God for us to step out and actually try it's the most biblical thing I think we've ever done, will have ever done. <clears throat> We're going to read the Bible next year. Novel idea for a church to do, right? <laughs> <clears throat> There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. If you take five days a week, you have 260 days in which to read 260 chapters. One chapter a day, five days a week. That gives you two days buffer if you need to catch up or anything. <clears throat> There's a ministry called Replicate. Replicate.org, uh, I think, is their website. It's not like they've created some new masterpiece rocket or something. It's just they actually stripped it down. What would happen if 50% of the church here, because I'm just, are, are y'all all right if we're just honest and real? Let's just be honest and real here. Don't want nobody to raise your hand. But you just evaluate your own heart. Do you read five chapters out of the Bible a week? You don't have don't don't answer out. Every week through the year, do you do you read at least five chapters out of the Bible, if not more? I know the answer to that question for the most part. What would happen if fifty percent of the church here that meets here was to read two hundred and sixty chapters out of the Bible in a year's time? I think that the angels in heaven would start ringing bells, just personally. What if we memorize one verse a week? Because that's also a challenge for a D group is what it's called. A D group is made up of six or less people. In that group, you're signing a covenant commitment that you will read five chapters a week out of off a reading list, that you'll memorize one verse of Scripture a week. Can you imagine that? 
What if half of the church memorized 52 verses of Scripture? How many, how many in your heart, don't answer out loud, how many of you know 52 verses of Scripture right now that you could spat off? I know there's a few that could, but overall, I'm talking about things that will mark our lives, not only externally, but internally. Then you journal. And I know guys, ladies, I don't even have to talk to y'all because that's natural for most of y'all. But for guys, journaling is different. They have a thing called a hear journal. You highlight. In other words, when you're reading the chapter, you, you, you actually need to write it down. It's, you commit to memory stuff if you'll write it down. And, but you can highlight in your Bible and jot down. One, two, three verses, whatever, that just stand out to you. Things that God, now the Bible is reading you. It's like, when I read this chapter, this verse stood out. So you highlight it. Then you explain it to the best of your ability. And there are study helps everywhere. But to the best of your ability in a short statement, what does it mean contextually that moment in the Bible? And then you explain, I mean, uh, apply it. What is it? How does it apply to my life? today, and then you respond. H-E-A-R. You, you highlight it, explain it, apply it, and respond. Here's a good example of response. Blessed are the meek. I don't even have to finish the verse because God's already got me right there. Blessed are the meek. Lord, I'm highlighting this verse. Here's the context of what it means. Here's how it applies to my life, and here is my response. God, please help me. Now, I don't, and this is my, I don't know how you talk to the Lord. This is how, I'm like, God, I'm kind of scared to ask you to make me meek <laughs> because you, you might challenge me and I don't want to be challenged there, but God, I'm struggling with this meek thing. So God, I'm just praying that teach me how to be meek. Please give me grace through the process. And so you write that down and so let's say that that was one of the verses that you read last week. When your D group meets this week, because you meet once a week, max 70 minutes. Your goal is around 60, but max 70 minutes. Short period of time to survey, but you're not really trying to survey the whole five chapters. What you do is when you meet, you're sitting in the group, say hey to everybody. Hey, who wants to pop the memory verse off? Now don't do the Sunday school thing. If you, if you do join a D group, don't do the Sunday school thing and wait to be the third or fourth person so you can sit there and memorize while the first two or three occasionally at least be the first person that throws it out there. Because I remember being in Sunday school, memory verses, come on, y'all know, y'all know, you know I'm telling the truth. It's like, okay, I'll just keep my mouth shut here. And okay, he said, I got it, you know. You Everybody throws a memory verse out there. Then you open up your journal. You open up your journal, and what you journaled last week, you sit there and go around the room. Hey, so uh, Matthew chapter 6, um, who had anything that just stood out? What, what stood out to you? And you share with each other. You go around the room. Different people going to have different verses, you know. Things start happening. Things start happening because we simply read the book. We're going to put out a reading list for the New Testament. And on that reading list that you'll have before January 1st, it, you, it'll be available to you actually next week. And, and, a, and a description of what's going on. And let me just say this. 
you're not going to hell if you don't join a D group, okay? Let me just get that out. You're not going to go off into eternity, into the abyss. The only way you're going to go off into eternity with not going to heaven is if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make that point. So please don't drift away from the church because you did not join a D group. That is not what this is about. But I will say this. I want to challenge everybody in the church to take that reading list and at least read. At least try to read one chapter a day. I can read five chapters and journal on them in an hour's time. That ain't how you're supposed to do it, but I have done it one week, brother. I have to admit, I was behind, so I had to catch up. So I did all my... I, I, I've got a D group that's been meeting 530 to 630, and I started just after 4 o'clock, and I was done in, in on time. So there's my confession, okay? Thankfully, it was something I already knew, <laughs> knew by heart, so I didn't have to do a whole lot of, a lot of digging. So, but listen, bare minimum, at least read. Maybe you want to read and be challenged to the verse a week. You can challenge yourself to the verse a week. Maybe you want to read, take the challenge, and journal. Maybe you want to just do it all and join a D group. A D group meets whenever and wherever it is best for the people that are in that group. Just, we're going to open up opportunities. Even if a D group needs to meet here on a Wednesday night while childcare is going on and you need to use one of the classrooms or the cabin or the conference room or whatever, whatever we need to do, this is so important that we do this. So important that God's given me a piece that I'm going to actually preach right along with the reading list. I'm not preaching five chapters in one Sunday morning, but I will preach out of the context of what's going on there in that, those scriptures. Our children's church is going to be going right along with there. Our youth department is going to be going right along with there. The whole church is going to focus. And so let me give you a testimony of two things that they, they say is going to happen and I've already seen happen in less than three months. They say that gospel conversations will start happening more. And so, um, in the normal course of your life, you will have more gospel conversations the more that you know this book. Makes sense, right? So, one of the guys in my group, he goes, the weirdest thing happened. I was at work. People were sitting around the break room. We was talking. He said, next thing I know, I'm sharing scripture with them. He said, I had to stop about part of the way through and go, where'd that come from? <laughs> Somebody who has never been an active reader of the scriptures in just a month's time. You hear me? Who's never had gospel conversations with nobody in just one month of reading five chapters a week. Why? Because it's in here. He goes, hey, in such and such scripture, such and such, this says this. Wouldn't that be awesome? To think that you're out there, you're a Christian, and people are having conversations, and you can interject in there and go, hey, you know the Bible actually says this. How would, how would, would you feel like you have succeeded as a Christian, maybe at that point? That something's like, wow, hey, whoa, check me out. 
It's kind of God's plan, isn't it? Then I had another situation. Hannah and Christy are going through the material. At my house last Monday, Bibles are open. Not the first time during this process, but this is just one of them. And they're sitting there conversating about Scripture. I'm sitting in a recliner grinning ear to ear. I'd love to sit here and tell you, because I could play it off, you know, well, at the pastor's house, when you walk in, you get this holy anointing that comes in, and you talk different. Nobody cusses. Nobody argues. You know, you don't even hit your finger with a hammer when you're driving a nail. I mean, it's just this perfect place. <laughs> but anyhow, that's not the norm around our house. Not that we don't talk about the Bible, but to have gospel conversations just generically going on. Organically, I think, would be a better organically just going home because they're reading the Bible. Because we're reading the Bible. What would it be like, think about it, if all your household did this, you hear it preached on Sunday morning, Lord willing there's going to be a daily devotional out by me, like a two to three minute daily devotional, five days a week, all next year. We'll see. To help you, like, so you can watch it while you do your reading. And you do that, and you memorize the verses, you read the scripture, your kids are, you know, and grandkids are getting it, you know. And so around the house, everybody's on the same, literally on the same page. Wouldn't that be cool? And the disciples were together, and they had all things in common. That's what the Bible says. So, that being said, um, I just challenge you to be praying about it. But understand this. This is not something that Pastor Greg's asking you to do. This is something that God's actually commanded us to do. You get that? Throwing it off on the piece of paper, Amen. It's a good piece of paper, though. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as you stand, I want to just share this with you as an um, invitation. Are you, are you saved? And you say, Preacher, you've asked that a lot. You know, every, every week, are you saved? Share the gospel. But I want you to think about it good this time because I want you to understand that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you kind of need to be saved. Not, I think I'm saved. Not, I hope I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know that God has changed my life. I know the fruit of my life. And see, so he even gives you the prerogative there in that scripture that I shared with you. Evaluate your life. A good tree bears good fruit, bad tree bears bad fruit. They shall know, you shall be known by your, and I love how it's that, your own fruit. Not just, not mama's fruit, not grandma's fruit, not just your fruit. Then, I want to tell you a little story about somebody. Because I know what it's like to be in the, I know what it's like to be under conviction of the Word of God, but but having a baptism and a church, you know, a membership and having all that, 
and, and wanting to get out of the door so that when I get out of the door, I can get out from up under this conviction. I, I'm, I, I don't, because then I can get a hold of my life. I can, I, I'll get, I'll get it, I'll get it under control. And I'll go out and I grab a hold of everything and I can put it all in place and whew, I'm good. But see, if you're lost, you're not good. Because you can't put in place the things it takes. You can't do it. So, I think we were having a baptism service here. Been some years back. And I had, there was a family, a, 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 a man, his wife, the kids, and his mama. We was walking down to the fellowship hall, right down through that doorway, down those stairs, to go down, I think, and have like a celebration thing because of we had just baptized some folks having like a birthday party kind of deal for them. He tugged on my shirt sleeve and he said, I need to talk to you. Sure, we can talk right now. Nope. He said, I don't, I don't want to talk right now. Can you come to the house? I said, tonight or tomorrow? He said, let's do it tomorrow evening. Your choice, dude. So we're in line. He's been eat up. I mean, God's just tearing him up. His mama comes and tugs on my shirt sleeve. She said, Preacher, when you go over to his house, don't you go over there trying to talk him into getting saved again. He's saved. Don't you do it. I was there. I seen it when he prayed the prayer, watched him baptized as a young man. And I remember telling her, I said, I'll leave all that up to God. Went over there, have to give kudos to his wife at the time. She got a babysitter, got the kids out of the house. Just me, him, and her. I said, well, dude, I said, your mama said that you're saved. He said, I don't care what my mama said, I'm lost. He laid his head down in his wife's lap, got in front of her on his knees. She's sitting there on the couch. I was sitting there beside of him. Put, her, put his head in her lap. She's praying over him. And he professed to give his life to Christ there that, that night at his house. Well, you know what comes next, right? Let's get baptized. Now, you got to understand, this man's almost 60 years old at the time. His mama would not let me baptize him. Nope, nope. She went back behind and she confirmed to him that he was saved before that. And he didn't need to be baptized. And let me just say this. Don't be meddling in God's business with other people. I don't care whether it's your mama, your children, your wife, your husband. Don't you dare touch what God's doing. If God's convicting somebody, you best keep your hands off of them. Don't you talk them out of something that God's pulling them into. Next thing you know, family starts slipping out of the church. They're gone. Then next thing you know, him and his wife's divorced. I want to go get that mom and sit her down and talk to her. And say, good job discipling, honey. She don't go here no more neither. What I'm trying to tell you is, salvation is of the utmost importance. And if you don't know that you're saved, if in the next 10 minutes, the next hour, the next day, the next couple days, whenever. I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. 
get in touch. First off, you need to talk to him. But please, if you need me or somebody, please get in touch with us. I don't feel like dragging somebody to an altar, trying to get you, beg you to come to some altar. If you want to go to, come to an altar, you get an altar yourself. If that's what you need to do. If you need to repent and believe today, then, then do that. If you want somebody to help you, then do that. But don't. But if God's speaking to you, you listen to him. You heed him. Come to him. He said, if, if, if you'll come to me, I'll in no way cast you out. He said, just come to me. He says, then when you are a child of God, read the book. And I've said this so many times. If all the Jesus you ever get is what I give you on Sunday morning, you will starve to death. It's a part of God's plan, but it is not the entirety of God's plan. Please, please become a student of the Word of God. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer. I want to thank everybody that, that contributed to Christmas at the Ridge in, in whatever way. Donations, helping, all that stuff. Um, just phenomenal. I mean, I tell people when they come and help for the first time, I was like, now, you're going to think it's boring. It's not boring. It's organized. I used to think it was boring. I was like, dang, I, I thought this was going to be like Black Friday. People just piling in here, grabbing toys. But it's just organized. And, and you know, and God did his thing as he normally does. And, and we're just thankful. So I just want to say thank you for everybody uh, that's helped out. Don't forget, uh, new service times next week. And also, again, balconies. Uh, opened up. You can check it out if you want to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to close us in prayer. And um, just know that I, my heart's desire for us is to have life, have the Christ life. Uh, and we're only going to get that through his word. So let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Thank you, Father, for your unfailing love. I ask you to please, Lord, um, strengthen us, lead us, guide us, Save us, God. Anybody is lost in this body of believers. If there's somebody here that's lost today, please save them. Strengthen your people. Protect us. Guide us. And allow us the opportunity to be seen marked as disciples of Jesus Christ under his lordship, in his word, and submitted to the truth that we find in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.